Well, I've been doing a series called If, and I'm trying to take different passages in Scripture where there's an if question or uh, an if statement, and we've been talking specifically through the Gospel of John in the last few weeks, and we're going to be in John again. But when I started this series, I talked about um, if there was something in your life right now that God would change right now, what would that be for you? And, uh, you know, I, I've joked about, say, just what do you mean one thing? I got a lot of things I wish God would take care of and change in my life. But we all probably have one thing right now that's probably branded on our mind or on our heart. And we're thinking about it a lot. And we wish God would take care of that one thing. And as we've been going through this series, we've looked at a lot of different encounters that Jesus has had with people and how he kind of takes whatever their problem is and reminds them that sometimes the thing that we think is most important in our life right now really is not. There's something else that God's trying to do in our lives. Maybe through that thing that we think if He would just remove it, everything would be perfect. But maybe God's trying to teach us something through that. There was um, uh, an author and social critic named Os Guinness. And uh, he tells a story about a well-known Christian leader who lost his son in a, in a horrific uh, a cycling accident, fairly young man, and uh, he uh, was able to speak as obviously as a Christian leader at his son's funeral, and people were amazed. He didn't seem to be grieving at all. He got up and talked about his son in glowing terms. He got up and and, and you know, was able to preach this amazing eulogy about his son, and people were just uh, uh, you know admired him. How does he do that when this tragic thing has happened? And he seemed to be able to suppress his grief and get up. And I don't know if any of y'all have been a, a, a part of of uh, speaking at a funeral for a loved one, but that's a hard thing, isn't it? If you've never had to do that or tried to do that, and and I I, I have to do funerals uh, from time to time, and I and I try to say to people, say, hey, you know, try to say something if you can, but if you can't, write it down and read it, or give it to someone else to read, because these things need to be said. But to actually get up after a real tragic, especially of a young person, and have to try to do that, how difficult that was. But he said this guy did it almost flawlessly. But a few weeks later, this, this same author and critic, um, Guinness, said he was invited to his house with a few more friends. And according to Guinness, this man spoke and even screamed, not in the hope that he was preaching during his son's eulogy, but the hurt of a father, pained and furious at God, dark and even blasphemous almost. In his agony, he blamed and was so angry at God for his son's death. But rather than rebuke him, one of the guys that was there listening to him, and you can understand, you've lost a son in a tragic accident, a young man, it's not supposed to happen that way. How difficult that would be. Some of y'all sitting here have been there. You know how bad that can hurt and the emotions that go with it. But rather than rebuke him, one of uh, Guinness's friends gently reminded him about the, the father of the story, of uh, the enraged father. He said, listen, you remember Jesus when he was at the grave of Lazarus. And on three occasions in that story, Jesus showed anger at what was going on, at this, at this death, at this tragedy of somebody that was very close to him. And so that's the story that we're going to look at today. Now, I don't know how many times you've been in a situation where you were mad at God. And I want to say this morning, that's okay. God is a big enough God, and He knows when we're upset with Him, and He knows what we're feeling, even if we don't express it, or even like this Father, for a time and a season, we can fake it in front of some people. It's going to come out eventually, and God's okay with that, because you know what? He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows your soul. 
He knows what you're going through, and He's okay with that. So we're going to look. I want to just kind of recap what we've been talking about in the last three weeks. But the first week we talked about that, that Jesus is certainly willing, willing to heal us when we come to Him desperate and humbly asking for His help. He wants to heal us. He's willing to do that. Jesus also, we looked at the next week, we looked at the woman uh, that He met, a Samaritan woman at the well. Um, and there was a, a lot of tension, racial tensions going on in that time. And for him to even talk to her in public, a woman, a Samaritan woman who had a checkered past, as we read about, was an amazing thing. But Jesus was trying to get to her soul and, and said, Look, I want to quench um, your spiritual thirst with living water, not just with something like she had been doing relationships that would just quench that thirst temporarily. But then very soon after that, she was thirsty again. And so we learned that Jesus wants to truly satisfy our most deep longings for this living water, not things that we keep running after again and again and we come back being thirsty again. And then last week we talked about a God who wants to free us, really free us once and for all from the sin that has us in bondage. So today, I want us to see what God wants to, to say to us in the face of death. Because death is a reality, and we spend most of our lives avoiding death, don't we? We don't want to talk about it. I've gotten to know Tim Parrott at Parrott Funeral Home pretty good over the years because I've done several funerals there. really liked him and his family. They are great people, very helpful. And uh, we, we talk from time to time about how people avoid that and avoid that. And it's so much easier when people have taken care of those things and talked about those things before a death comes. And they've made those arrangements ahead of time. It's so much better. But we just avoid that, don't we? And I say that to you, and I haven't got my stuff together. I've got people in my family that I need to get their stuff together because death is a reality of life. One out of one of us is going to die. So I didn't come here to hear that this morning. But the truth is, is, is that's just reality. We're going to read um, uh, from John chapter 11, and you may or may not have heard of Lazarus before, but it's an amazing story. And I think about the songs that, that Kevin crafted so well, the band this morning, you know, um, this is a guy who got to run out of that grave. And we're going we're gonna to hear that story, but what led up to it? So hopefully that's going to be uh, on the screen this morning for us. John chapter 11, if you've got your personal advice, you can certainly look on with that. Or it'll, it'll be on the screen for us. There it is. So, on his arrival, Jesus found... Now, I want to just kind of back up before I read that. Is, is, is So, Jesus has been in another place, probably about an hour away from Bethany. And Bethany was about two miles from Jerusalem, just right outside of Jerusalem, where the big temple was and most of the, the religious activity. And Jesus had some friends there. Mary and Martha were sisters and their brother Lazarus. They were very close to Jesus. So, when Jesus was, was not doing ministry stuff necessarily... Uh, in the temple or in Jerusalem or in Galilee, different places, he would kind of come and, and take some rest and relaxation at the house of Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus. We don't know if they all lived together, but they lived in this little town called Bethany. So Jesus is about an hour away, and he hears that his friend Lazarus is very sick, and they say they sent messengers to him, which probably took about a day for Jesus for them to get to Jesus. He was about a, a day away, and they told him, say, hey, the one you love, Lazarus, is sick. And they want you to come. But what we find out is Jesus stayed two more days. And by the time he got there, Lazarus was already dead for four days. Now you can imagine if you're close to Jesus and you're a friend of Jesus, you're going, well, why didn't Jesus come earlier than that? What happened? So we're going to kind of pick it up when Jesus actually comes into town after he's been away and he finds out that Lazarus is already dead and he comes into town. So that's where we're going to pick it up. So on his arrival into Bethany, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. 
Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard that she, when she heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said the exact same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could, he not, who, could, he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, this may be a familiar passage to many of you. I mean, it's just amazing when you think about it. If you were actually there that day, what did that feel like? What was that experience like? It had to be surreal to have been in that town for the last four days and watch all this sadness and this mourning, and then all of a sudden see this guy come into town, and everybody's making a commotion about him. They may have heard of Jesus. They may not have. And all of a sudden he goes, hey, let's go down to the tomb. Oh, I guess you want to go mourn too. And then he says, let's remove the stone. And people say, what, 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 what are you doing? What, what are you doing? Nobody does that. That's disrespectful to the dead. What are you doing? But Jesus was going to do something amazing that day. And so we want to kind of look at this. There's so many interesting things going on. Obviously, we've talked about Jesus was very close um, to Mary and Martha and, and to Lazarus. And we read throughout the Gospels, not only in John, but in the other Gospel accounts, that he went there and had a good relationship with them. He ate with them. He rested with them. They were very close to him. So we wonder why Jesus did not come right when they first asked Jesus to come. You know, he was an hour away. But what we do realize when we read this gospel and we get a little further, John lets us know that even if Jesus had left right then, he wouldn't have gotten there in time. And we need to understand that because he was about a, a day away, so the messengers took a day to get there to tell him. 
Then they left him, and Jesus stayed two more days there. And then it took Jesus a day to get back to Bethany. And when he got there, he had been dead. How many days? Let's see if y'all are listening. Four. Good job. Y'all are listening. That's great. You're reading well. Four days. So you see what I'm saying? He probably died as soon as the messengers left saying, Jesus, they want you to come. Your, your friend Lazarus is really sick. He probably died soon after that. And even if Jesus had left from a human standpoint, he wouldn't have gotten there in time. Lazarus would have died. But Jesus tells his disciples after the messengers leave, this won't end in death. But it did. But not like they thought. And Jesus says, I'm glad that, that, that I'm not there. I'm not going there right now because I'm going to glorify God through what's going to happen next. And you know, the disciples hear this, but they're like a lot of times in the Scripture, they hear this, but they're going, what did he just say? He's going to do something amazing. We always know he does, but I don't understand what he's up to this time. I really, I really don't. So we know that it took four days. So in that culture and time and history, when someone died, you buried them right then, that, that day. You know, we didn't have the embalming practices that we do today. Yeah, they put spices and things like that and embalmed them the best they could, but they would wrap them in those spices and wrap them up in that uh, like sheets like we've like a mummy almost and they would place them in a tomb and uh, as you've probably seen in a lot of depictions um, the the stone that was rolled away we, we talk about that a lot about Jesus on on Easter Sunday resurrection Sunday and so they would have these caves and in these caves they would cut a hole in them and then they would cut out these little benches and they would lay the body horizontally on the on, on the bench and they would have this little um, channel or this canal that would be in front where they would put this round stone and you could push the stone in front of it. And they would leave that body there for approximately a year till the body completely decomposed. And then about a year or so later, they would go back in, roll the stone away, get those bones out and put them in this little burial box. And I'm trying to remember the name of that burial box. I got it here in my notes somewhere. Um, I'll find it in a minute. But um, And then they would have that tomb open again for somebody else. So they just kept reusing them. That's how they did that. Kind of interesting, huh? So this is what's happening. He's only been in there, in, there, in there four days. And when Jesus gets to Bethany, obviously everybody's all upset and they're mourning. And, and according to Jewish law, the law of Moses from the Old Testament, it said you're supposed to mourn for somebody seven days. Well, they've already started this. And y'all, mourning is not just, you know, when we go into a funeral home, it's kind of quiet. And we're saying, I'm sorry. And there, there's, some, there's some weeping, there's some crying. But... In our culture in the West, what do we try to do? We try to, we try to hold back, don't we? Don't, don't, get, don't get too sad about it. You know, I'm sorry. But, but man, have you ever seen when one of those backpack guys walks into a, a cafe over in the Middle East and pulls the string and blows everybody up? Have you seen what happens after that? Have you seen those people mourn? They are weeping and wailing and going crazy. That's the way they... They mourn in the east. That's how it's done. Even in the tent. They wail. They mourn. It's loud. It's not, we're not holding back. We're not trying to hide our emotion. We are upset that, some, that life has been snuffed out somehow, some way. We're upset because the person that we love is no longer with us. And so Jesus walks into this scene. And this is typical of Eastern cultures. So Jesus comes into town and he meets Martha first. And first thing she says to him is, Lord, that was polite. But if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Wow, that's kind of awkward, isn't it? If you had been here. But I know that even now, God will give you what, whatever you ask for. Now, what is, what is that? There's some hurt there that Jesus did not come immediately. Surely she's realized by now, even if Jesus had come immediately, Lazarus would have been dead anyway. But in the raw emotions of losing your brother who you were so close with, and you knew you were close to God, you're just going, why did this have to happen? Some of y'all have been there. Why? That's the question we ask. Why? 
This doesn't seem fair. This is not the way life's supposed to be. Why has this happened? So there's certainly. Why did Lazarus have to die? What did she mean? Even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Is she hoping that maybe Jesus would raise her brother from the dead as a possibility? Well, it doesn't seem so because she's the one a little bit later who says, Oh, no, don't pull that, don't pull that stone away. It's going gonna, it's gonna to stink. The body's been de- de- decomposing for four days now, Jesus. Don't, don't roll that stone away. I don't think this is even on her agenda right now or even on the horizon of the way she's thinking. Maybe she's just acknowledging that she knew Jesus was very connected with God. She had seen the healings that he had done up until this point. And it would have been nice if that would have translated into her brother being healing, being healed. All those other people, Jesus, you healed. We know about it. We've heard about it. All the people have. You know you have that power. How did my brother, who you're close to, how did that get missed? But instead he says, your brother will rise again. And she goes, oh, I know he'll rise on the last day. In the resurrection of the last time, She kind of goes into Sunday school mode. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You say what you're supposed to say. You ever been in those situations? I know what I'm thinking. I know what I'm hurting in my heart and my soul and my mind. I know what I want to say, but I'm going to say the Sunday school answer because that's what you're supposed to say, to be polite. So Jesus kind of senses this, doesn't he? Yeah, you've said what you're supposed to say, but he says you're talking about a resurrection as an event. And Jesus says this amazing thing that we have heard before. Hopefully you've heard it before, but if not, I hope it's the first time you're hearing it. hope it sticks with you. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. No, I'm sorry, Martha. It's not an event way back a pie in the sky, by and by, that kind of thing. Way, Yeah, that's going to happen. But I'm trying to get you to see that it's not just an event. I am the resurrection and the life present. Not just in the future, but present. And you notice he starts with, I am. To the Jewish people, they remember when Moses asked, who am I supposed to tell people you are, God? He says, I am. I've always been in the past. I am in the present. I will always be in the future. I always am. And I can't even wrap my head around that, can y'all? But that's what Jesus is saying. I know you're hurting You're trying to mask it, and I can see right through that. I want you to understand that I am the resurrection life. I'm not just somebody that can heal. I'm the one that has power over life and death. And then she said, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Another seemingly Sunday school answer. Maybe I'm being too hard on her, but she's hurting, y'all. I just know she's hurting. And in her mind, she's going, Yeah, I know you're the Messiah that comes into the world, but... uh, If all that's true, then why is my brother dead? I'm not happy about it. I'll say the right answer, but I'm not happy about it. He believed in you. You just said if he believes, if we believe in him, we will never die. Well, he's dead, Jesus. He's dead. Then she kind of just checks out for a minute. Oh, I'm going to get my sister. And says she leaves and she goes and goes and tells Mary, your sister, that, hey, he wants to see you. And she comes out, and what does she do as soon as she get, gets there? She at least falls at his feet, a little more respectful, but says, hey, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You know, Jesus going, oh, great. This feels great in this awkward situation. And I don't think they're mad at Jesus. They're just hurting. They're grieving and confused. Y'all know, if anybody, when you're in the middle of grieving and confused, do you say things that you don't really mean? Of course you do. It's hard. It's raw, these feelings. We don't even know how to contain them. But this is where we see the truly human side of Jesus. He not only sees the sisters mourning and distraught, 
and, and saying things, but not really saying what they're feeling because he knows there's this awkwardness of, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you get here? Why weren't you here in the first place? And says Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. He's seen them mourning. He sees this. And this is not just like I'm saying, it's like people just, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, whoa, you know, wailing. And he's seeing all this and he's deeply troubled and moved. And the Greek word, and I can't even pronounce it, but it actually means here this, this moved in spirit. It means to snort with anger. Can y'all relate with that? A snort of anger. Have you, heard, have you seen something that made you so mad you snorted with anger? Like, y'all have your own version of that, I'm sure. But you know what I'm talking about. Pfft, what was that? You know, somebody did something, you go, Pfft, what was that? I can't believe you just did that in front of them when your kid does something like that. Or, you're, or, or you know, later you see your husband or wife, you go, Pfft, I can't believe you said that in front of the Joneses. You embarrass me to no end. Now, we're laughing, but this is, this is not Jesus being, he's just, he's troubled. And we're like, God is troubled? Does that not tell you the human side of Jesus while he was here on earth? He's troubled, but why is he troubled? And then there's the, um, um, why is he troubled? This anger, this indignation that would make him snort in anger. And then there's this trouble, and the Greek word here means to agitate someone, to cause one's inward to call someone to have this inward commotion inside of their feelings, to take away the calmness of their mind. Are you telling me that Jesus is being, his calmness is being taken away? Yes, because he was fully God, but he was also fully human. And he's feeling what it is to feel like a human and experience death. But why is Jesus showing these emotions? Why not compassion? Why this anger? Why this troubling in his spirit? Is he mad that they're crying and mourning? Well, no, because we just read the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. There's nothing wrong with grieving. That's, that's a healthy thing is to cry and let your emotions out and try to keep them all in. So Jesus is not mad at them because he cries too. It's hard to know exactly, but Jesus then wants to know, where is he? I want to go right now. And they go, well, okay, follow us. He sees this whole scene and he starts to cry. It seems that Jesus was moved and troubled in his spirit because he sees what death is doing to this whole community. Jesus can see and sense and feel that the enemy who comes to steal and kill and destroy is on a war path right now. And he's stealing the joy from these people. He's killing their, their hearts and their minds and their souls right now through this death. This is not what God's creation was originally intended to experience, but sin has come into the world and it's broken life. And as Jesus sees this unfolding with those he's really close to, it breaks his heart. And again, we see the humanity of Jesus. But interestingly, in this crowd of people, some are moved when they see Jesus weeping. They go, wow, look at him, he's crying. He really loved this Lazarus guy. He was really close to him. But others said, yeah, but if he was really that close to him, then why didn't he get here and healing. There's still that skepticism. And Martha, as I mentioned earlier, she tried to, to, to stop Jesus from opening the tomb. But Jesus says, no, did I not tell you? He's ready to show God's power over sin and death and glorify the Father. That's what his objective always was, was to glorify the Father. And he wants to do that now because he sees the enemy taking over this community and bringing them down. And I mentioned to you about this, this cave scene. So they all go down there and they're like, now what? What, what, what are you going to do? Open the, open the tomb? What do you mean open the tomb? That's creepy. Why would you do that? It's going to stink, Martha tells him. 
And Jesus said, did I not tell, that he, tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? This is, his, this is his whole objective here is to say, you need to see the glory of God while Satan's going around here stealing and killing and destroying. You need to see that God is more powerful because you're starting to believe that death is the end and it's not. And Martha said she believed. Mary said she believed. The disciples said they believed. But I wonder if their belief included this. And you might say, well, why not? Didn't Jesus raise other people from the dead in the New Testament? And so, yeah, when you read the gospel, when you read the gospel messages, you can read that. And you can see that, yes, Jesus did. In the Gospel of Luke, we hear about Jesus raising um, this widow's son. In the Gospel of Mark, it tells us about Jairus and his daughter. And Jesus went and raised his daughter. Didn't they see this before? But after four days, Jesus doesn't even show any kind of urgency about being there. So it's probably not even on their radar. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. But I'm not sure if the belief was there, but God's glory was going to show up that day. Certainly apparent in what Jesus did next. And I can't even imagine how that must have felt to be there and watch this day. I'll be honest with you. Every time I do a funeral at a graveside, afterwards, as I'm walking back through the grave, I just go, I think about that passage. And I go, man, what would it be like to have Jesus ask somebody to come out of the grave? What would that look like? To call the, the funeral home director and say, hey, we're going to open up that grave. And you go, whoa, what are you going to do? I just always think about that. And it reminds me that Jesus has promised us that death is not the finality that we think it is. He didn't say don't grieve. He didn't say don't get upset. But it's not the finality that we think he is. So this morning, the reality is, What is your reaction to this? Some of you go, I've heard that before. It's pretty amazing. It's awesome. Jesus is who we said he was. Some of you might be skeptical. Yeah, I don't know about that. You know, there's a bunch of guys that write for National Geographic, and they said that probably really didn't happen. Well, you know what? At the end of time, when you get ready to die and get judged, I'm pretty sure National Geographic writers are not going to be on that board. They're not going to make the final judgment. Or some people who just say, I can't believe in miracles. I can't believe in the supernatural. That just can't happen. But do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe about Jesus, about the words he said about death and resurrection, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life? Do you really believe that? It makes a difference if you do. And we can all say some religious or spiritual comments about those questions but God knows what you think about this already he knows what I think about it already he knows how we live every day because you know what that's the ultimate test of how what we say we really believe about that is how we live every day and Jesus is in this environment where he goes y'all you're supposed to be upset but I want you to see that God is still in control even though you've lost your brother but Jesus took care of that once and for all He knows that in a broken world that the enemy continues to seek and kill and destroy, doesn't he? But Jesus has already taken care of that. And I don't understand why Jesus doesn't just stop all of it right now, but he's allowed it to go on to the end of time. But he's proven to us through his life and his death and his resurrection that he's taken care of that. And he hopes that will allow us to live differently. He wants us to live differently because of that. Now here's the cool thing, y'all. Lazarus died again didn't he? We know he did. But I can guarantee you, if you could, when I can't wait to go up, I want to find Lazarus when I get to heaven. I was like, dude, tell me about how that was. 
But the second time when he died and he's laying on his deathbed, do you think he's as scared as the first time? Not a chance. So y'all are going, no way. That's right. Not a chance. Not a chance. Because he knew that this was not really the end. He had been brought back and he knew eventually he would be brought back again. He knew Jesus was the resurrection and the life. But Jesus took care of that not only for, for Lazarus but for all of us. And he also knows there's times when we are in the midst of seemingly hopeless situation that we too would say to Jesus, if you had been here, Jesus, this wouldn't have happened. Have you ever said that? Have you ever thought that? Jesus, if you were really here, my marriage would be better. My kids wouldn't be rebellious. This wouldn't have happened in this car wreck. I wouldn't have lost my son. I wouldn't have lost my daughter. I wouldn't have lost my mom. All that. You fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. But we've all had those situations where we say, if God, if you had been here, that wouldn't have happened. And I'm here today to tell you that God's okay with that. And he leaves us this story for a reason. To say, I know you have those questions. But I think that is where Jesus is deeply moved and troubled in your life, just like he was that day. He hurts for us. He doesn't want us to experience this suffering and death in the broken world. And he hurts that we don't make the connection similar to Martha and Mary. And we say we believe in Jesus. And we say you're the Messiah. And we can say all the Sunday school right answers. But ultimately there's a disconnect between the present and the future. And God's perspective and ours. And there is a difference. There's also a disconnect between our priority of self-preservation and self-glorification and glorifying God. And here's what I'm amazed about Jesus, y'all, is he never lost sight that his ultimate goal was to glorify God, not to self-preserve and not to glorify himself, but to glorify God. And he never lost sight of that. Never. That's amazing. So do we realize that Jesus' main objective while he is here on earth and even today is to bring God glory? Do we really understand that? But here's the deal. If we're made in his image, can we even fathom how difficult it is in this broken world for God to do that, to glorify God? It's so tricky in this world. And we, we don't know the whole story ever, but he does. But do we believe that what we just read really happened? I do. And I believe it changes the way we look at life here and now. Do we believe the same Jesus who brought Lazarus out of that tomb also came out of his own tomb and as we sang that first song today he's calling you to run out of that grave one day and sometimes y'all right now in your life you're in a figurative grave you got stuff going on and God's calling you to run out and you're not really sure that he really is who he says he is but he's calling you to run out of that grave but do you believe that same Jesus can call you out I do I believe he's real what other hope do we have what other answer for death do you have we have to anchor our faith not just to the hope in a future resurrection that we might win in the Christian lottery by some chance, but rather a faith that is anchored to a real and present daily experience with a resurrected Jesus that will also resurrect us on the last day as well. It's a real thing. And when we realize how much God values all life, your life, my life, all of life that's ever been, everyone's life that he has ever had, he has ultimate power and he has defeated sin and death and the enemy, we will live differently in the present if we really believe that. And we need to do that. Jesus know where you, knows where you are in your faith right now. He knows where I am in your faith. But he wants to meet us right where we are. And he says, I know you're skeptical. I know you're hurting. I know you're not sure about these things. But I want you to know it's real. And he wants to encourage and challenge us to be a part of what he's doing in the world to glorify the Lord. Now who wants that today?
Who wants to be a part of that today? I hope you do. I hope you believe that. Well, I know two people that are coming forward today, and they're going to be baptized. They're going to name Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you know what? They're going to settle this once and for all. They're going to know where they're going to be eternally. And they are claiming that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And I'm so happy that they're coming this morning. I'm excited about that. But there may be somebody else here. So we're going we're gonna to have an, an, an opportunity for you to come forward if you want to make a decision. If you're thinking about it and you're saying, man, I don't know if I'm going to come forward, that's okay. I'll be glad to talk to you after the service, next Monday, this Monday, Wednesday, whenever. I'll be glad to meet with you. Any of our staff will. But don't let this just be a passing thought. You need to know where you stand with God eternally. You need to know that. He is the resurrection and the life, and He wants you to claim that for yourself. So I know two that are coming this morning. We're going to stand. The band's going to come up. We're going to sing a song. And if you have to make that decision, um, we invite you to come. So let's stand together and sing, as I know a couple are coming. Maybe there's more. I hope so.